Hello, Rich Bolas here, and thank you for downloading this episode of the Dad Mindset Show. This week, I talk with gender equality leadership consultant and the Victorian state manager of Dad's group, Adam Tardiff. We go into all sorts of topics from the things you're not prepared for when you have a baby to what it's like to experience your own parents splitting up and the impact that can have on you. I hope you find this conversation with Adam Tardiff really interesting. Adam Tardiff, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's great to finally get together. We've been meaning to talk for ages, haven't we? Uh, I know, yeah, since uh, February, I think it was, when we first met at the Dad's Night Inn in Torquay, Um, and there's obviously been quite a few interruptions with life since then for all of us. Yeah, and uh, I think it's quite timely to mention that, you know, you've currently just gone back into lockdown, haven't you, for round two? Round two, so, and well, um, prior to all of Melbourne Metropolitan going into lockdown, my suburb here in Ascot Vale was identified as an area going into lockdown when there was, I think there was around 36 or something like that, and Ascot Vale was named as one of those, so we've gone an extra week and about an extra week, (laughs) Uh. so... Oh well, it is what it is. As long as we're healthy and we're, you know, as long as we're healthy and happy, it's all good. Yeah. Have you had any particular hacks for dealing with lockdown? Oh, just do what you can. Like we, (laughs) we, we, honestly, just do what you got to do to get through it. We, that's what how we feel anyway. You know, um, like for example, you know, we're we're not big on William watching too much TV, but. Um, you know, if there's days where we're all just need to just chill and watch a few movies or watch a bit of Paw Patrol, which he's a, a fiend for, then so be it. Um, breaking it up, but yeah, so but just do whatever you got to do. Like, I think, um, yeah, I, I don't really have a hack in terms of something that's been, I think, just getting out and about. Where, when you can, you know, like, like William, he can't stay inside all day every day. Um, we use, we've got a, we've got a bit of a, um, we live in an apartment complex, and so there's like a big car park space that's a communal car park space. So if there was a hack, you know, anyone that has that kind of space and can get out and about and use that, then that's been our, that's been our treasure, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> right, is that kicking a footy down there or something? Oh yeah, kicking the footy. He loves riding his bike. You know, he just loves getting out and about. He he's he's not a kid that can just you know sit there and stare at a screen or play one thing for three hours. <laughs> He'll play something even though he loves it for like ten minutes at top. Uh, you know, at the most, and then he'll be onto something else really really quickly. So yeah, he's very much on the go. Yeah, so I'm uh, sure you must have your your hands full throughout the day then. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like my wife will get home from work. I'm at home with him on Fridays, um, which I've had that pretty much since day one. And there was a period where I had him two – I was with him two days a week. Um, And, yeah, my wife will get home and it was kind of like she judged – how I was feeling based on whether or not he was good or not throughout the day. <laughs> this actually got very little to do with it. He can be an amazing boy all day, but on the go and I'm knackered, you know, so <laughs> but his behavior doesn't necessarily equate to how I'm feeling at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
And um, I mean, one of the things I, I wanted to dive into quickly, uh, well, straight away, really, was, I mean, you, you're a gender equality leadership consultant, Adam. Uh, what yep. actually inspired you to be part of the solution against gender inequality, both in the fatherhood space and in bridging the gap for women in business and sport? I just think that in like with gender inequality, there's there's still so much of it for both women and men and of of people of all kinds of um, sexual identity, I guess, and, and gender gender identity because, you know, with, with fatherhood, for example, there's so many gaps with the health system for for, for dads, you know, where we, we talk quite a bit about the fact that, um, you know, maternal and child health or, or – uh, and whether it's ho- in hospital or in the community, wasn't designed with with men in mind. Um, and it's come quite a long way compared to, say, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40 years ago, of course. Um, but con- considering how much research there is now on how important it is for fathers to be involved in, you know, their ch- and actively engage and involved in their child's learning and development in their life, it's interesting that we're still so far behind in in helping um, fathers to feel a part of even the uh, paternal, or, sorry, not the paternal, the antenatal period where we're not recognised as part of that the family until Bubs is born. You know, prior to that, we don't really exist. Um, and then, and so yeah, with the with so with the fatherhood space, it's just about. Um, normalizing and breaking the stigma for for what it is to be a man and a, and a father these days um you know it's still it's growing but it's still a relatively uncommon thing for a father to be stay at home um and then on the space of with women there's clearly multiple types of gaps for women in business and sport particularly and 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 that is around you know um career pathways or or pay gaps or um career opportunity and all those sorts of things and i think the the, the really important thing to understand is is that men and women both benefit from the other being having more opportunity to be who they are and to be able to progress in their career to be able to excel in their life just as much as the other so men benefit from women having you know the same opportunities as men have to excel just like women benefit from men being able to have the same in fatherhood because obviously or in the fatherhood space particularly given that um the more the more we are equipped to be a parent obviously the better it is for not only the our partners but the children our our children you know so it it just makes total sense to 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 be part of both if you if if for much of a better term (laughs) yeah was there a particular moment like an aha moment or has it been a gradual sort of move into this space for you adam i wish there was an aha you know i wish there was like a you know there was just this I had a dream or something <laughs> struck me down or, you know, um, that would make it a little more exciting, wouldn't it? Um, I think it's all just – If I was, it's a really good question. Um, I would describe it as it's progressed 
where, you know, I mean, I didn't know Dad's group, which is where I really started to understand the the inequalities for fathers um, beyond my own experience. Uh, and, and, and even during my own early experience, I didn't know any better. So I kind of didn't really know what made sense or what didn't. But when lots of different things would come up, like even realising that I wasn't really part of the the story during the antenatal period, I didn't realise that until after, you know. So it wasn't like I had this, oh, I'm going to take this change and, and, and do something about it during that period. But after I got involved with Dad's group, um yeah, things progressed from there where I started to learn all of all of the gaps and all of the different things that go on that that of where we're where we're still stuck in Stone Age period. Um and so that things progressed from that. And then for women, you know, so I've been I was a my first um I suppose uh yeah, my first experience in terms of working towards where I am now with working with women is I was a football coach at Pasco Vale senior women's team. Um, and so that was probably a really defining moment where I always knew, you know, it's pretty common knowledge that, um, I mean, it's not common knowledge in terms of what gender inequality is and what kinds of gender inequalities there are. There's abs- We don't know anywhere near enough about that. But I think it's pretty common to know that women don't get the same pay as men, even though they're in the same role or whatever. We we widely know that. Um, so I understood that. But until I was at, at in a female environment, a, a team environment in a male-dominated sporting club, wasn't until I was in that position where I could see quite clearly the the yeah, different gender inequalities within within a sporting environment um and then the following year i was at another club um coaching uh women again and and a very professional club um at vfl level and the, quite a step up in comparison to opportunity and and um and progression and and, and trying and giving, you know, same opportunities, similar opportunities, I should say, as to the men, but still quite a number of gaps. And 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 I believe though um, that it was unintentional. You know, I, I, there's a lot of unintentional gender inequality too. So a lot of people see the obvious stuff, but I think there can be quite a bit of in unintentional uh, gender inequality where, for example, um, you know, working out training nights, who gets the ground and, you know, who gets, you know, whether, and then if it's the ground, if it's a ground, then is it the, is it the ground or is it a ground that's off in the pocket of, of the you know in the dark shadows of the suburb do you know what i mean yeah. it's uh, i guess um so i started to see all of those sorts of things from an amateur level but even a professional level where it was clear to me that women have to work like a lot harder i don't know how much i'm not a mathematician but they certainly appear to me or, or it's very clear to me that 
women have to work quite a bit harder to get the same opportunities as men do. And it doesn't make sense to me. Um, you know, I, I don't really buy into too much. I, you know, I can understand a little bit of the argument of, you know, when it comes to pay for sport and that kind of thing, like that there's, you know, a male footballer starts at around, you know, 100K a year, whereas even the even the top AFLW players won't be anywhere, earning anywhere near that. Um, I, I, I can understand a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit about, you know, the the um, the popularity or the brand of the football. But I, I don't get it. Mostly I do not get it where, um, yeah, it's I, I don't care about the fact that it's not as attractive. I think in order to get professional, to get it to that standard, you have to provide opportunities, whether it's financial, whether it's career path, whether it's training opportunity, whether it's providing all the professional resources that are available to men to get to that progression. I think you need to, like, you're either going to do it or you don't, and you put all your eggs in your basket and it either it either succeeds or it fails. And if it fails, you just got to cop it on the chin. But I don't think you can say, well, we're just going to test it for about five to ten years offer you all little to nothing. Like women have to travel in sport, um, you know, like there are women for AFLW and men certainly have to do it too. Like, for example, um, Sarah Perkins, who played Adelaide, she's from Melbourne and she didn't travel and, and train over there and play for three months we, you know, she would have left a job. She would have stayed over there for a period of time. So she's not working all that time either. So they, they have to, it's like they have to drop everything and pack up and move to another state just to play a bit of football for very little money and that kind of thing. So that's the sort of stuff I'm saying. Or, or women that I was coaching last year that were travelling, you know, four, five, six to ten hours a week just to play a game of sport in Melbourne and, and it just doesn't happen the same way. Yeah. Do you, do you see it, Adam, where um, obviously the certain clubs uh, are really against women playing in the, in the clubs or training in the earlier age groups? Oh, good question. I'm thinking from a father with two daughters. Like yeah. what, what would be your advice um, when you, your daughter gets to the, the age where she wants to compete? Uh, at a certain level like how would you approach it with with a club that you know might not necessarily be as open to you know girls playing as as on an equal footing to to boys well i think the start of it with a club if they're you know hesitant to, or not keen to start a, a a play a women's comp is is to understand why you know my first thing would be to understand why that is because it, it I mean, firstly, for me, it wouldn't make sense why you wouldn't. Um, from my experience, because there are a couple of clubs that I've spoken with recently about starting, you know, a women's team or a women's program, to me at the moment it appears, and from what I'm getting, is that it appears to be in the too hard basket. And this is my, that's not my opinion. That's what I'm gathering from then. Um and when I say that is it's it 
they'll automatically start to get stressed about who's going to run the program. It means more volunteers. It means trying to get more staff. It means trying to get more money to be able to pay those staff. It means we've got to work out, um, you know, uh, 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 resources, whether it's a sporting ground, how, you know, who's going to train when. It's, it's a personnel thing. It's a structural thing. It's a... Um, and 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 a, a, a much it's an added stress on top of when they don't really know how to do it. Yeah. So you think you know it's I mean? so you think it's very much a scarcity mindset where yeah, they're thinking totally. it's a it's going to be a drain on resources. It's not an opportunity for growth and flourishing. That's exactly right. Because I would imagine that most clubs, if not all clubs, um. Would, would want to have a female program there uh, or at least there'd be personnel within that club that would want it and would be pushing for it. I'd be stunned if by now, what are we now, four years coming up into the AFLW where it's just gone gangbusters. Like Pascovale, for example, they went from having a couple of female teams to a, 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 fem- a women's program all the way from under nines up, you know, so – there are lots of clubs that are doing really, really well with it. Um, whether they're getting teams on the park every week is another matter. But yeah, I, I think I, I think it's more of a scarcity thing than anything. It's no different to us, though, in general, where like trying something new and something that seems really um, outside, I suppose, what 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 they're capable of doing is going to be scary. But there are so many benefits to, to doing it. I mean, it it creates a much larger family environment in, in terms of growing the club, but there's obviously a lot more members that are going to be part of it. It grows the community. I mean, I could. where do I start? Where do I end all of the things where I know it would be beneficial? Yeah. Apart from the fact it's right, apart from the fact that it's just right to do it. Um, but, yeah, it's usually the, the concern is, um, it's, we're already some teams, some clubs are struggling to maintain what they've already got, you know, with, with what the the basics of what they've already got. But there are many, many, many clubs that where they where um, yeah that they, they could be providing that opportunity and they're, and they're not because of they they're, they're scared to do so, which. You know, it, it, I don't, so to answer your question, I don't think it's a thing that they don't want to. Um, you know, are there people within those environments that aren't too big on it? Yeah, for sure. You know, but I think um, the start is my my thing that I'd be doing is talking about or trying to ascertain as to why they're concerned about it or why they don't want to. Yeah, and I suppose when you look at things like life saving, those sort of clubs seem to have a a much more equal standing for both female and male members don't they and do you think that's because it's just historically the way it's always been and and obviously we're coming from a much more male dominated area of most other sports i don't know if it's always been like that because life savings been around for a long i don't know i'd have to look it up but i'm my understanding there was a time where women weren't even allowed on the beach wasn't there (laughs) like so i can only imagine that there was only male lifeguards at that point, you know. Um, So lifeguarding probably would have had its time as well where 
it wasn't okay. You know, like I saw a picture pop up on LinkedIn the other day where I think some I've recently followed a LinkedIn connection called the Female Lead, and I'm, I'm sure it was them. And they posted this picture of um, the first female marathon, uh, first female contestant in the Boston Marathon or something like that. And and the picture is of there's a couple of there's men around her. Um, and there's a guy trying to attack her from behind, and he's an official. What? And he attacked her from, and this is very, this is only based on the caption from what I saw. But the, he he was attacked. He was a, an official that attacked her because she was a woman racing, and he didn't want her to be racing in the race. So there's, if we talk about buying, you know, you could have. People that say this is what we're going to do, but that doesn't mean that everyone within that field is going to accept it and welcome it with open arms. Yeah. So what <laughs> what, what what do you think the barriers are in general across the board? Is it just understand? Do you think it's just how it's always been in some areas, and it's just a, a change of perspective that's needed? I think it's a. I think it's one hundred percent comes down to our lack of knowledge and an education and understanding around. Like I don't. Not enough men understand how we negatively impact women, or how we have an impact on gender, or how we're how we're part of the problem with gender inequality. And that's not to say that women can't be. Um, part of the problem and, and aren't a part of the problem with gender inequality because there's certainly that as well. But I think in terms of um, male-dominated environments as a whole, I don't think enough of us understand how we are part of the problem and what kinds of problems we create to 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 have that, to, to create that gender inequality and that divide between us, you know, like... Um, you know, and there are a lot of privileges that men get, even just with life that women don't get. For example, I can walk down the street, night, day, raining, not raining, middle of the night, whatever. Sure, there's areas I wouldn't go walking by myself. Sure, there's t- I would have my kind of my hackle up if I'm walking through a along a dark street and there's someone walking up towards me but I would never I don't have anywhere near the same hesitation to go for a walk as my wife does for example she refuses to go for a walk and exercise she has to be really um I can go for a walk and exercise whenever I want whereas she's like I'm only going to go either early morning but you're going to come with me or I'm going to go during the day I'm never going to go by myself at night and that's even just on dusk there and that's that would be a multi there would be a multitude of women that would go through the same thing or feel the same way you know but i don't men don't ever really feel it have to worry about that kind of stuff i mean it's just not something we really have to worry about but I, I don't know about you but i know that there are times when i'll be walking along the street and like you know going for my walk which i do pretty much every day I don't know if you've ever found this, but if I get behind a woman, it's quite often where if she notices I'm there and can see 
that I'm, and she identifies that I'm male, you can just start to see there's this behavior of nervousness. I don't know if it's just me or not, but I can just sense this nervousness from them. Yeah, and you, you, you're not the only one. I, I, I've totally been in situations where I've, I've literally had to make a point of overtaking them just to almost yes, let them relax. Yes. I will. Yeah. I will get louder, and I will make a yeah. I will make it clear that I am trying to show her that I am not a threat. You know, I've almost had time. I was talking about it with a mate the other day. Like, I've almost felt like stopping and saying, "I'm sorry that you feel so <laughs> uncomfortable. I'm sorry that you have that you've been conditioned to get to that point because we have a serious problem with, um, you know, there's 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 too many times where there's been unsafe situations for women to the point where now." You know, there's too many that couldn't, don't even feel safe to go for a leisurely walk, which, you know, like for people that, again, if I'm putting it back towards my wife, like she's doing everything she can to try and get her health back back together and it just really, it really um, affects me that, yeah, she just doesn't have the same freedom to be able to do that and, and which which holds her back. In comparison to, I can just go whenever I want, and and that really affects me. It bothers me that, that we're like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, what do you think? Uh, ways forward as a society that we could be looking at in this area. What? Uh, sorry, what was the first part of the question? Yeah. What, what do you think? Uh, ways we can actually break this as a society. Uh, one major thing is I think more men need to get involved in, um, yeah, in, in be engaged in all things gender equality. I, I really do. I think um, from, from many different points of view, but one of them being um, to, to, to gather a much greater understanding as to, as to um, gender equality. And the thing is most people think that gender equality is – all about women, you know, which is bizarre because it's gender equality is all gender. It's not you because it's not my wife because she's a female. It's my wife and I because she's a female and I'm a male. You know, it's the same across across all gender types. Yep. So there needs to be a a a um a fifty fifty mix. <laughs> You know, say we're in a room, there needs to be a 50-50 mix of um, people that are actively involved and engaged but, but keen to learn from each other. And that's not to say that women need to sit there and describe until they go blue in the face as to what it's like to be a woman. That's not up to them to make us, live. you know, get up to scratch. However, I find that there – I believe that there are certainly um, – is a need for men to have space to be able to ask questions that would allow us to understand more that might not feel overly comfortable for women to hear or to, to be asked. But if we are to gain more of an awareness and understand what it's like and how we can be better, we have to be able to ask questions to be better informed. And I think that's where we're, we don't have enough men involved and engaged in um, I suppose, yeah, the fight against gender inequality. 
It's interesting, Adam, because I think I think we've we've also had similar experiences because I I've looked after the girls for a year when Sarah was working uh, full time, yeah. and and it, that was probably my first taste of what it might possibly be like um, because I just assumed that I'd be going to you know parents groups it would be like a, a breeze you know how hard can it be looking after two two you know, young girls like a, a four-year a three-year-old and a one-year-old this is going to mm. be ace put them in the double pram go down the park grab a coffee hang out with the other parents it'll be high fives and hanging out at the library and everything will be a rosy and um, I found it really hard. It, it was it was it was really hard to actually be part of the other parents, and specifically yes. moms groups. I, yeah. I just you know I'd I'd go with I thought an open mind, and and it would close off to me. And I'd be like, oh, yeah. what is going on here? And and you get uh, the moms are acted a bit like they were uncomfortable because obviously I don't know what they talk about normally. Well, I do actually, in some instances, some of the moms, <laughs> some of the moms totally yeah, had no yeah. filters and I was like, wow, this is a really interesting lens. Guys don't talk yeah. about this stuff. Um, yeah. but, um, that was really, that was a real wake up call for me, I think. And, and I really struggled as a dad looking after two girls, um, to actually engage with the local community because we'd moved to Adelaide. We're in the middle of a, a town we didn't know. I thought it'd be quite easy to make friends and, and get on with people um, you know, with young kids in particular, but I struggled. I hit a wall and it was, it was almost like I wasn't allowed into the women's groups and then there wasn't much for guys either. And it was a real shame. And I, you know, I obviously was a big part in, in not being on the front foot there, but I like to think I'm pretty, uh, pretty <laughs> forward, um, generally, and, and I'm not exactly shy, but um, yeah, it was yeah. tough. It was really tough, and and that's why it's really exciting to hear, you know, what you and the guys uh, are doing with Dad's Group Inc. Um, so, I mean, can you tell us a bit about your early journey, Adam? Yeah, um, with fatherhood, that is. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> you don't know what you don't know, right? But you know if if anyone was to come to me and say yep it was exactly what i expected it to, to be like and and I, I thought it was going to be like this and that's exactly how it was i'd i'd be stunned i'd pay him a million bucks that i don't have you know like um you know there's this idea of what i had in my head as to what it was going to be like and certainly there are there, there's a lot of things that match um but yeah, my experience is that there was just this huge amount of learning off the cuff, and I still find I, I say this all the time. I, I don't. I feel like I'm making mistakes or questioning my parenting on a daily basis, you know. But particularly in the early stages, you know, like you're learning. Not, I, I found that you. I, I wasn't only learning how to be a father. I, I felt like I was learning how to be a partner to a new woman. Because there were so many things that would and changes that she was going through that how I would normally support her and and, and nurture her or, or care for her or show compassion for her or, or be there for her as a partner is so different to how I would have or, or what I would have done prior to, you know. Um because she's going through a whole range of different experiences, like hormones of what she was experiencing as a 25-year-old compared to hormones she's experiencing as a new mum 
<laughs> obviously are quite different. So I'm, you're seeing behaviours come from them or, or and vice versa that is different. And so it kind of felt like I was learning how to be a partner in a different way to her. So I wasn't just learning how to be a dad. I was learning how to be a, a, a father and a, and a partner in this, in, in this parent space. Um, and that's what really shocked me. I think there was both of us who had changes about us that shocked each other. I know that there were things that were normally common for me that changed that that, that probably – that what my understanding is shocked Katie. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, there, there's a load of stuff that comes up that you're just not prepared for and, uh, yeah, and I found that um, I, I, I just ran with them and, and, and took them on, but, yeah, they, 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 there was certainly a lot of things that took me by surprise, that's for sure. <laughs> any uh, any examples, Adam? Or well, one big one, one big one is um, is is the breastfeeding. So I understood. So my sister, we've got nephews. So my sister, I first learned that breastfeeding is certainly not as simple as putting the baby on the nipple and the baby will just feed. You know, it's not a this grand natural process that'll just happen like that. You know. Uh, Back in 2009 when my nephew was born, I was visiting my sister and you know, she described some stuff to me that was like, oh, wow, so it's, they don't just latch on as simple as that. Like there's a whole realm of different comfort, you know, uh, complication stuff that can occur, a lot of different um, in, intricacies, I should say, that, that about it. And then in it ourselves, though, um, there was even more I learned when that happened, when, when Katie was breastfeeding William when he was born. And um, those first few days, particularly for Katie, but for us, were, were, were hell, and mainly for her, but uh, sorry, mainly for her. And, and in the first, um, yeah, six weeks, she developed serious mastitis and, and we had to, like two or three hospital visits because like she was having all these big fevers and, I'd never even heard of mastitis before, and but it was the mental battle that I was seeing her go through that that troubled me, or you know, that worried me the most is because for her as well, she's like there's this belief and understanding that that um, you know that it's a motherhood thing to do to breastfeed and it's natural, and if you're not breastfeeding, then something's wrong with you type thing going on, and. So the, I could just see this mental battle and it took her about three weeks to get around to the point of going, of making a decision to go to the bottle. But, yeah, that was a really tough period of time and, and I think for me um, that, again, that if, if we're talking about defining moments or aha type moments actually, that might be a bit of one where I was like the, the health system wasn't, wasn't helping us here in that way where it just there seemed to be this strong push that then had an unintentional stigma attached to it um you know i i understand and i appreciate trying to kind of push for the breastfeeding and for you know but when you when when a woman's sitting there and clearly looking like she's at breaking point 
you don't keep put, I don't I don't understand why you'd keep pushing that when it's perfectly fine for them to go to the bottle if they can go to the bottle and you know my like this thing of um, we developed an, a belief of, of fat is best rather than breast is best and you know the the women that can breastfeed and they get through it and they get through all that tough period you know I uh, um, power to you I, I just think like how incredibly amazing but on the flip side the women that have um been able to come to terms with not breastfeeding and and i know quite a few that went to the bottle and pretty early on like katie did then power to you on that too because the mental battle that she went through to get to that point was severe and i remember even a few somewhere a little time later she contemplated going back to the going back to breastfeeding and I remember feeling myself shudder thinking, no, for the love, no, please, you know, if you, and I, not that I wouldn't have supported it and I would have, I would have, yep, let's, if, if you want to do it, you've got to do what you got to do, fine, I'll support it but, oh man, the idea of it just made me shudder because I just thought we're starting to progress here, we're starting to make some ground, you're starting to feel better, we're starting to get some normality here um and and the idea of going back in that <laughs> and i suppose the, the the big thing as well adam is is the feeling of being judged by the other parents isn't it yeah, yeah yes yes and what you know what really helped her and again if we talk about how things help people um yeah like for, for as i said for women it can there's this strong stigma that can come with overpowering stigma where they start to worry about whether they're whether you know whether it decreases their 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 um their, them being a woman um because they can't breast or they're struggling to breastfeed and they're choosing not to breastfeed is is strong right and 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 it didn't become normal or it wasn't normalised for her, the challenges of breastfeeding until she found this Facebook group that, yeah, that's what really changed her to start to see the world of people, out, women out there that have had the same challenges of her as her that helped her through that and help her get to the decision that she made. Yep. With men, I think we struggle a lot of times with knowing or, or, or you know, understanding what it is to be a man you know i think there's a lot of times where we're misunderstanding masculinity and so i find that there are a lot of times in my life where i haven't um you know i've held myself back from doing a certain thing or saying a certain thing out of fear of being judged as not being masculine you know and which is ridiculous isn't it really so am i being my true self i'd have to argue no so with fatherhood and what dad's group's about and what the gender equality is about with that is normalising and breaking the stigma that you, 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 you are masculine if you're walking down the street with a baby carrier strapped to the front of your chest and your baby's in it and you're giving them a kiss on the cheek or on the lips or, you know, you, 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 you're cuddling your baby. You, you, you know, you, you, you are... Um, you know, you're holding your baby and showing love to the baby just as much as what it, what we have the image of as a mother and that that is just as wonderful and fine as it is for, for other guys and, you know, you don't have to 
be the bloke that's standing off to the side and, you know, she's she's taking care of your, your child and I'm babysitting my son today or, you know, like there's, there's, there, there's um, many, many ways where you can um, be a, a, a wonderful man and, and a masculine man by by being extremely caring and nurturing and and loving and and, and all those things just 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 as much. Yeah. How, how do you think your upbringing differs from how you're bringing up William? <laughs> Good question. Uh, well, so I don't remember much. In fact, I have very little memory of my child of any of my childhood. Um, so my parents uh, they split when I was about five or six, um, and which is relatively old in comparison. Like you know, the memory can be earlier than that. Um, and I can even look at photos of us being somewhere together as a family, and I can't tell you anything about it. I couldn't say, oh, yeah, that was the day we went to the beach and we did blah, blah, blah. Couldn't tell you a thing. Um, so what I'm saying is that my childhood was is, uh, is relatively blurry for me. So it's hard for me to identify, you know, that, uh, you know, an upbringing as such. But my dad's an English teacher. My dad raised my sister and I. My 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 sister and I would go visit my mum every second, uh, every fortnight. Um, my stepfather came into the picture when I was eight years old, um, and he's been like a second father, another father to me. So he he's been an incredible figure in my time. We've certainly had our challenges, but um, I. I wasn't a child that, you know, pushed him away because he's, you know, coming into my life as a stepfather or anything like that. I actually was really excited and loved having, and I suppose it was testament to him being someone that I could connect with. Um, he and my mum married um, uh, about two, yeah, about yeah, when I was about ten years old. Um, so I've had a I've had two fathers from a you know in different uh, in different ways um, for most of my life, and and they're two very very different people. So I've, there's so much about me that's about my dad, but there's quite a lot that I've learned and 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 how I am as a father that I learned from my stepfather as well. What, what do you um, what do you think you've taken from each, Adam? Good question. Um, my father. And it's, I don't want to say like as though the other's not, but you know, um, because there's there are similarities about the two that I've taken. So there's my father. Um, yeah, he, he's a very very caring, um, uh, open. Well, yeah, he's he's very he is quite an open minded guy where. Um, you know, I was raised in a place where you accepted everybody as they are. You don't, you you know, like, yeah, under no circumstances is there anything derogatory about people in, like, there was just, that was never, ever allowed in our house, you know, which is wonderful. Um, 
And, yeah, like he was – it's a really good question. So my dad, like, he was – he would drive me to all my different sporting events. He'd be there and he'd be supporting and he would – he was even coach of my basketball team quite often and, you know, and we were travelling a long way. And so he was heavily engaged, I guess, if that's – if I was to think of it that way. And, um, yeah, like, yeah, he, he – yeah, very, very involved – um, did he remarry or did he raise you guys yeah, on not, his own? Yeah, not until I was 21. So there's a, a very interesting uh, dynamic I've, I've grown up with. So my – I don't like the word stepmom or stepdad, you know, like – I mean, I, I worry at times whether I'm disrespecting my, my, you know, my mother and my father by if I was to ever call my stepmother uh, another mother. Yeah. <laughs> But but I kind of I don't know because they're extremely um, wonderful figures in my life and I, I kind of feel like I don't know I, I would just call her my stepmother that's just me but anyway um, so she's actually an English teacher as well Dad's an English and history teacher he's on the tail end he's just working casually when he wants um, my stepmom's like twenty two years younger than my dad. Um, and she was my English teacher. She 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 started halfway through when I was in year nine, and she was my English teacher half of year nine, all of year ten, and and my English teacher in year twelve. So my last year of high school. So you could only imagine the dynamics <laughs> and the challenges that we faced. Um, yeah. So she yeah. So when I was about. So it would have been about 15 when she came into my life. Um, but she came into my life first as Your my English, English teacher. teacher. Yeah. <laughs> and second. <laughs> but they started seeing each other not too long after um, not too long after she arrived, actually. Um, so Dad must have known a good thing, good, good, good person when he saw her. Um, but uh, even to the – like, they actually didn't know – that she didn't connect the dots. They were sharing the same office, but she didn't connect the dots that I was his son for a little while. She was even kind of talking about me every now and then, <laughs> who dad? <laughs> and she didn't connect the dots until at some point, I can't remember what it was, but, yeah, that I'm in fact, yeah, she she was talking to the guy that I'm his, yeah, his, his son. Um, <laughs> All good things, I hate. Yeah. <laughs> I think so. I think so. Yeah, I, I th- my, she did. She has described to me before that. Yeah, she was talking about. You know, I'm. I'm. Uh, when I, uh, the type of kid I was at high school, you know, I got into I got into trouble or whatever, but it wasn't trouble for hurting people, or it wasn't trouble for 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 being nasty. To, I mean, sure, I probably said things to people that I wish I didn't and whether it was a student or a teacher or whatever, but I never went out of my way to actively go and, you know. So I, was, I, I would have said, like, so she described me as polite and outgoing and and thoughtful and I guess they're, they're the sorts of things that Dad, if you're coming back to your question, you know, they're the sorts of things that traits from Dad, but my stepdad as well. Like, there's a lot of things about being... There's a lot of things about respect and being polite to people that my stepdad taught me as well that, that were messages that he gave me. Again, it's not that dad mightn't have said the same things, but sometimes other people say things that 
the kind of hit home that that you, that you take on a bit more, you know, over time. So yeah, I've, I've, I'm quite irate. You know, I, I had a lot of um, uh, I suppose personal issues with with my parents splitting up and that kind of growing up in that way for a lot of my life. But um, you know, I, I actually consider myself for quite a while now. I've considered myself extremely fortunate to have not just two amazing parents, but I've got four. Yeah. What what sort of advice would you would you give people out there if they are going through a, a separation? You know, coming from someone that's experienced it. Really good question. Um, <laughs> all right, number one is leave the child out of it. Like, it doesn't matter how old they are. I mean, and when I say that, I mean leave them out of any issues that you have with the other. Like, I'm not, you know, because the next point that I have to make um, kind of, would almost sound like it contradicts that, but so we need to be really clear. Leave them out of your arguments or your your issues with each other. Like never, ever let them even hear you talking trash about them to your friend or anybody. Like just leave them out of it. It's it it, it it's um you know it's I've, I find it interesting how. You know, there are couples, and I'm not saying that there's anything wrong with what they've done, but I, I find it interesting how couples in general can go from doting on each other and loving each other and being so kind to it can take one thing to to turn it on a dime and they be, can become so hateful. I just can't quite wrap my head around that and, you know, whether it's a big problem or a small problem. But I would say keep your issues away from your, your kids, never let them, never talk trash to them about their, 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 their father or their mother because they are still their father or their mother and they are still, um, whether, they, whether they are going to be actively involved or not, let's just say it's a horrible separation and, and one just leaves and doesn't, you know, even to that point, as tough as it might be, your child is still going to look in their direction for some kind of commonality and if you spend your time trashing that person, there's going to be a massive gap and with the connection even if it's just a spiritual one. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, totally. And it's a really good point, Adam, because I think you, know, you can even forget kids hear everything so even mm-hmm. if it's like it, at the park talking to someone, you know, a friend and the, the kids over here all those conversations generally. So it's even in situations like that as well, isn't it? 100%. Yeah, so if you're talking about them, and I mean, you need space to offload, but just leave them at, like, yeah, just say it away from them as far as you possibly can. Number two, though, and as a parent, so prior to becoming a parent, so I learned some stuff that went on for my mum and dad years down the track that really um, had a full-on impact um, on both my sister and I. And I guess if there was a theme to it, it was just that we were completely left in the dark on something that completely blindsided us. I won't go into that because, for out of respect out of, for my parents, but a com- 
there's some stuff that went on that completely blindsided us and we were we were young adults by that point and it was something that we were to never know and I understand as a parent prior to becoming a parent I could never understand why they would do that as a parent I can understand why they would do that but I also would love to know if there was a way or I would encourage people to find a way where you could provide an understanding to your kids as to what's going on the motive behind without, it yeah the motion behind, yeah the the, the 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 what what's actually, why this is because even to this day I can't tell you why my mum and dad split up what the issues were like they've both given me some insights over the years but I couldn't sit here and go oh well this happened so you know they split up or they were fighting all the time and so it just eroded like because I never saw them fight you know so I think it would help them to understand how and why it's happened if you can try and do that you know Obviously, it's going to depend on the age of the child, but never just if say they say they're young, they're two years of age, then you know I wouldn't just leave it there and go. Well, they're only two, so they're not going to understand it because they'll start to ask questions soon soon enough. And if you don't break it down, they, that I, I know that living with this lack of understanding and and this. I think that helped, I think that contributed towards um, uh, the 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 I suppose the the burning feeling that most other people that have gone kids that have grown up in a separated family have felt throughout their life. It's kind of like this little hole in their stomach is only going to get wider if we don't know if we've got no understanding around it. If you just leave it and just hope that they'll just get over it and deal with it. You, you're digging yourself a big hole because it, it's not something you ever really get over. It's just something you tend to just deal with. So, and, so do you think, Adam, yeah. that you really have to sort of figure out a way of explaining it in the language that they'll understand at the age they are so that they're not second-guessing themselves and so on as they grow older? Exactly. And that's a very good point you made in terms of second-guessing. Like, because, you know, there, there are your par- like parents can say to the cows come home that, you know, had nothing to do with you, or that we love you, and it's got, it's only to do with us. And yes, that you know, some people might not be able to believe that, and some might. But you know, yeah, it, it would it just would help with just understanding how how it's got to that point. Um, that would break down a lot of insecurity, a lot of um, unknowns that that would help. Um, yeah, that will help them help them out as they develop and grow older. Yeah, do you, do you think some of those insecurities could be chiefly around the the children blaming themselves? Oh, no doubt that there'd be an element of that. I mean, I I don't remember whether I again blurry childhood <laughs> memories, but I don't recall. I mean, I, you know what? I I reckon it would be a really common, if not you know. Normal for much of a better term to question, to you know, to question whether or not you've been a part of this issue or not, you know. Um, so yeah, I think so. I think it's more around, um, 
because it's such a big thing to happen, you know, like one minute where, you know, uh, uh, we appear to be a happy family that go and do things together that are sitting at the dinner table together and sitting in the lounge room watching TV together and one's now gone. There's got to be some explanation to that, you know. Like you can't just. Yeah, it's a material uh, difference to the family. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, gotta, and I'm not saying that my parents didn't. I don't. I never remember any kind of real, you know, proper understanding. Debrief, almost. Yeah, yeah. Like, I remember the very day. Like my, I remember the. And I've always remembered – this is the thing. What's funny is that my childhood memories are blurry, but I can distinctively remember um, when they told us that, that mum – that yeah, that they were going to split. That that doesn't – there's no blurriness there. Um, I can describe the room to you. I can describe where we were. I can describe how I was sitting, you know, all of that. Um, so – but yeah, in terms of having a really clear understanding as to how, and I understand that. I mean, it would be so difficult, and for for both parents to go through that and to 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 you know um, make decisions and and come to that point and and go through it themselves. And there's so many personal things that they would be going through as well. But if you're asking about, you know. Um, advice the other thing is just it it always has whatever you do always has to come back to what's best for your child you know and it's not to say that you forget about yourself and you don't you know you, you just end end everything for yourself and just put all your eggs towards your child it's not about that you still got career you still got other things that you want to do i would definitely encourage you to do that but with any decisions you're making, and as that comes back to my first point, is that where it's about keeping negative conversations and energy about your other your ex partner away from your kids, it's about your kids. You just gotta, like, you've always got to come back to that. Is that whatever decisions you're making, whatever it is that you're doing, it comes back to the greater good of your child because. Otherwise, if it's not, then again, it can come back to that insecurity. Yeah, no, that's really, uh, really interesting. And thanks for thanks for going into that. I think, um, I mean, you, your uh, your son is two and a half now. William is two and a half. What, what are mm. some of the lessons that you've learnt as a father now? <laughs> oh man, you know, uh, um, I even learnt some lessons. This morning, uh, maybe, uh, yeah. Well, well, yes, yes. But you know what? I, I got I got to try some lessons that I got from Louis yesterday. I um, <laughs> <We> love Louie. <laughs> I finally, I'll tell you. So my bandit uh, is the best role model in the world. Oh my god! So Williams, have, as I said before, Williams a fiend for Paw Patrol, which uh, you know. Good for him that he loves it and he's got a connection with it and we've got all the figurines for it. So it gives us creativity and playtime beyond the TV, but also he plays with them whilst he's watching it too. And so that's amazing. But I've been trying to desperately to get him into Bluey because, in my opinion, Paw Patrol is, you know. Pales into a comparison. Right. 
Um, and he finally watched a few episodes in you know consecutively with Bluey. And both Katie and I are sitting there just getting all of this stuff from Bluey or and he, or his dad. Um, that was all these amazing messages, but they were coming from both sides. You know, there was messages that was important about for kids to learn of how they can remember that pe their parents are people too, and and the other way around. And so I got to try. Like I, I'm, um, I'm patient. I'm quite a patient person, but you know, we all get caught up in the you know, the daycare drop-off or the school drop-off and, you know, we know, we understand the element of time, right? But William doesn't, at two and a half, understand that, you know, breakfast at daycare ends at 7.30, so we've got to be there before 7.30. So you playing on your bed and going from one thing to another and, you know, and, and you know, turning what would be two minutes to dress you into half an hour... He doesn't understand anything about that, but um, it's well. It's actually Adam. There's an interesting example. Probably about two hours ago, with my son Will, he, I said to him, "I'm going to work. I'll see you, you know, uh, in about five, six hours, you know, because he'd popped over um, for lunch break." And um, and he said, "But but when, Dad? When are you gonna? When am I gonna see you?" And I said, "In about five or six hours." And he said, but when? I said, you know, dinner time. He said, but when? And I was like, I don't actually know how to explain this in a different way, Will. And he's like, maybe through the watch. Or so. And then he said, is it going to be daytime or nighttime? And I was like, okay, it's going to be nighttime. And he's like, he was totally cool with that. He's like, okay, cool. I get to see you at nighttime. There might be two or three stars out. That's exactly right. And um, so I got to... So I, I, I get a bit stressed when I need to be at a certain place at a certain time. And, you know, and the fact that I saw it on Bluey, I'm like, yeah, this is a reminder of how universal that first world problem really is. Um, so this morning, uh, I, because I, so this episode on Bluey, they, 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 um, they were going to go meet another friend at the park. And mum was trying to get them both out the door to meet them by a certain time that they said they were at an agreed time. And, you know, one's starting to get their shoe on but then gets asked to go and play something and do something else. And, you know, mum's, like, trying to get them out the door. And the message obviously was, look, um, that five or so minutes, five or ten minutes, just, like, they're, they're – they're, they're just playing, like they're just being themselves. They're, they're, um, you know, if by me stopping him from expressing himself, but within, you know, him by how he plays, I got to see it all play out this morning. <laughs> I let go of time. I let go of. I, 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 I used what I learned from Bluey. And um and it was an amazing morning, funnily enough. Like he we I think it took us about twenty five minutes to get ready to get clothes on him. <laughs> but in that time he made a campfire on his bedroom floor, which thankfully it's not a real one. A campfire, he made a birthday cake, he went and got some bananas three times. He brought back bananas three times from the hallway. 
who played on his bed and sort of mucked around on there. We read a book. <laughs> and then he eventually brought a suitcase in, brought his daycare bag in, chose his daycare bag to put on, and we got his got his clothes on. He went and cuddled his mum, and off we went to daycare. That's so good. That's nice. Um, all within time. Well, you know, you still had time to spare to get to breakfast. So, yeah, I, I, I think um, I've probably gone – I'm not sure if I've gone off track with your question, but <laughs> no, it's all good. Think, um, one of the things that, yeah, for me, I, 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 and I talk to parents a lot about is around patience, and that's being patient with your partner being patient with your ba- your child and being patient with yourself. You know, we're all new at it. You know, even if you've got two or three kids, you're still learning, like, life. You're still, you know, you're still going to make mistakes. You're still not going to nail every single thing you do. And just like your partner's not going to nail everything they do and just like your child's not going to nail everything they do. And if we get stressed and annoyed a- a- every time, that we're trying to get ready to go to daycare or if we get like stressed and annoyed at each other for all the little to- things that don't really matter or, or, and in fact can hold us back. Um, and, and as I described to you earlier, like there was a lot of things about my partner that was different or at least kind of changed a bit after becoming a mother and the same for me as a father that required me to be more patient and required her to be more patient with me. That that yeah. So I think as a base level, if you take a moment to just breathe, just be patient with each other, then yeah, I think as an absolute base level, it, that that will help you through your particularly through your early parenting or parent or life in general. Yeah. Totally. And I think, you know, of all the things that can actually help in parenting the most, patience is probably the best circuit breaker for just releasing uh, any sort of anxiety. If you can just lean into being patient. Yeah, we'll take this. I mean, my example about this morning is I'll put it back on the flip side. Me, William, we need to get ready for daycare. No. Then he runs off and, and, you know, goes to try and play. And I'm like, no, we haven't got time to do this. We've got to get ready for daycare. If you don't get ready now, you don't get a yoga. And then it just escalates and escalates and escalates and escalates. And then, you know, sometimes I find I'm, you know, on my way to daycare apologising for how I behaved earlier, which is that's one thing, though, is that we're very big on if we've made mistakes like getting, you know, escalated or, you know, when I say escalated, like, you know, raising my voice at him or which certainly that has its place, you know, like it certainly has its place. But there are times where I find if you're asking about the things about parenting or fatherhood that I didn't realise, I suppose there are thing there are ways that I behave or there's thing there's responses that I can have that are not me that are not or that are not who I want to be they're, they're beyond my normal way of my how my normal character and I suppose I didn't expect it to to challenge my character and make me think about my character as much as it really has um, and yeah so yeah, as I said, on the on the flip side of it, uh, there's the morning would look like me getting frustrated at him not getting ready on time, and 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 we get 
upset with each other and it's it's crap it's yuck what's the point of it really I, like i had a similar situation with trying to get ready and it would take forever to get you know uh well dressed and there would be you know arguments and everything You're like come on we've really got to go and it, yeah but i don't want to go i don't want to get dressed and um then we came across this game where you know basically holding out his 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 jocks for him to put his legs through and stuff and he wouldn't want to put his feet through but i'd make it difficult for him to do that and then we also made it like a, a machine so it's like a slot machine you put a coin in and then the whole thing moves and he had to try and get his foot in the hole and i, I wouldn't let him get his foot in quite a few times and it was a bit of a game to get him to actually <laughs> put his jocks on and he loved it and and it would actually take less time if i played a game that was quite long to get him dressed than it would just the normal way of getting him dressed and so yes. it, it, yep. it worked a treat and i was like this is great you know probably if, if only I got onto that earlier <laughs> and, and it was just, yeah, it is going to take five minutes to get dressed. It's not going to take, you know, a minute and a half that we expect, but you can, you could actually almost time it by a clock and know that's how much time I had to leave. Um, once I guess he had agency or he was in control of the situation because he was playing a game to get dressed. And uh, Absolutely. You know, like I want him to learn to become independent as soon as possible because that's going to make our lives easier, right? But me getting frustrated is only going to hold him back. You know, me getting frustrated and ending up putting his pants on for him, that's not going to get him towards independence. And me, I want him to um, feel comfortable to, to express himself and be comfortable to be himself and be comfortable to, 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 to live his life how he wants to live it. But then in the same instance, I'm stopping him from doing exactly that all because... <laughs> Got to get some childcare. <laughs> childcare. Like, it doesn't matter. I can just give him breakfast here. It does not matter. You know, so uh, I suppose um, they need... Our children need to learn routine and time. It's going to help them when they get to school and it's going to help them when they get a job and all of that. So there's there's room for that. But it's a much of muchness, isn't there? Like it's, it's in comparison to would I rather him learn now that it's okay for him to have fun and express himself and have a playful morning rather than teaching him about time when he doesn't even understand it anyway now? You know, so it's it's. I'm glad that I watched Bluey yesterday. You know, and, um, you know, he's a he's like a fifth, a third father it's, to me. I it suppose. is it is the best way to prime your day. Just watch an episode of Bluey in the morning, and it sets you up, doesn't it? I, I nearly came home after dropping him off and just sat there and watched it myself. To be perfect, <laughs> you know, I, yeah. So I think there's so many wonderful messages from that show, and but I, I was so glad that. I saw it. I'm so glad that I was able to see it now to make some changes for myself to be to be better um, for for not only William but myself and for my wife. You know, because I know that she can have challenges with it too. But but if I'm going to feel better in the morning, then she's going to feel better in the morning, and William's going to feel better. So I, I'm just thankful that I watched it now and not. 10, 15 exactly. years ago. Although saying that, I, I think we should definitely um, yeah, reach out to Joe Brum, the guy that you know was on the team that made it, and say, look, you got to keep this going because we need to know how Bandit's going to deal with teenagers. <laughs> <laughs> we should do some future episodes. It's, exactly. Don't stop here. you got to keep going. Keep the, keep the you know, bluey and uh, 
Yeah. Uh, Banjo growing. 100%. I think um, another thing I didn't really – I wasn't clear on what was going to happen for me was the emotion that that comes up for me, you know, um, whether it's, you know, watching a show and there's a child getting hurt that's been hurt or there's something like I never have cried at show on show about anything on a show before. It doesn't happen every time, but there are times where we'll be watching something and I'll tear up a bit, you know, like, you know, anything and that didn't or happen before or parent related, you know, yeah. um, and I, I'm not ashamed to cry or worried about any of that sort of stuff. But yeah, it's just funny that, um, that sort of thing has come up. But one thing that I experience a lot is fear. Uh, and I'm sure that's a really common thing too, but the thing that I, the thing, obviously I fear him getting, William getting hurt now, right? But I actually fear more um, his future, you know, like, so my background, Rich, I, I worked um, as a as a case manager working with people experiencing homelessness for around 10 years, right? I've, you know, most people when they think of people that are, you know, that are that are experiencing homelessness, and that's for all the listeners out there. That's the correct term, not not the homeless person. It's a person experiencing homelessness. Hmm. It's not their identity, right? That's just that point. But it's um, I've seen most people think that, that all people that are experiencing homelessness come from um, yeah abusive backgrounds you know, and, and trouble, troubled households. Now, that's true in a, in a large, like the, the, the majority of people that have experienced homeless or experiencing homelessness, yes, over 90% of them generally the statistics are, yes, they've experienced some kind of childhood trauma. However, and I've worked with people from the small percentage of people that haven't come from a troubled childhood at all uh in fact have come from quite a loving um you know nurturing household that have just made some poor decisions along the way um or or, or, or a relationship breakdown has happened and it's you know and and they've, they've they've become homeless because of that that i've seen enough of that and been involved heavily involved in people's lives in that where that's what scares me more than anything, that no matter what Katie and I do or and the other people around William that are influences for him, you know, his grandparents and football coaches or sporting coaches or teachers down the line, no matter what we've all done to, to guide him through, to, to, make, um, to, to make good decisions and, and I suppose be, keep himself healthy, there, are, there is a lot that's complete. There will come a time where all of that is completely out of our control, hmm. and that's what probably scares me more than anything. Is, is, um, is yeah, is just that lack of control or, or not knowing whether something like that's going to happen down the line. Does that all? Yeah, does that totally, all make sense? Totally makes sense. Um, and so, 
you know, it, for me, what when you know, even now, I myself talk with that because sometimes I can get really quite anxious about it, and and other, and it doesn't come up every day, but when it comes up, sometimes it can be quite an anxious feeling, and other times it's just something that's this fleeting thought. But when it comes up, earlier on, I just had to. For me, I just decided to come to the conclusion of no matter what happens, whatever position he's in, whatever life's, wherever life's taken him, that as long as he is alive and healthy and he's he's okay, then then I, I have to be okay with that. Do you know what I mean? Because yeah. I. I've seen I've seen too many people. I've seen the both sides of things where, you know, I, I trust it and believe that he he will be okay. It's not that. It's just there's a there will come a time where there are things that can happen to people that have come from very wonderful, loving, nurturing backgrounds that that have that has had an impact on them for one reason or another, and it's just completely flipped life on its head. And if that happens, I just want him to be okay and just manage it the best way he can. And and I hope that I suppose part of being a parent is helping him to be resilient and and teaching him to be resilient if he was to face any of that kind of um, tribulation because if we don't, then I don't know if we've really done our job properly. Yeah, yeah, it's really so important because things like a, a breakup when you're you know, 14 years old or something can feel like the end of the world. I mean, you, you hear some of the childhood experts like Maggie Dent talk about that. They literally feel it's the end of the world. So if, if someone feels like they're going through that, you know, that's that's powerful, powerful feelings. Or well, those are really powerful 100%. feelings. And I 100%. guess I, I, I must admit, Adam, I hadn't heard of, you know, some of those stories you, you talked about there you know, where they had come from, you know, solid families and really good upbringings. But it is, you know, it's, yeah, there's so many things that can go wrong. I must admit, I find the, I, I changed my approach a while back in that I I worried as well quite a lot. And then mm. I just, I came across something, I think it was Marcus Aurelius, his meditations book. And, and the sort, whole sort of stoic philosophy really helped me get, my head around it in that I just wanted to be mindful of what I had right now, like the minute right now. And, and it just, it's just reframed how I sort of hung out with my kids. All of a sudden it was like, you know, if I'm busy on something and they come up and they want to cuddle, you know, I'd often case push away and say, Oh, in a bit, in a bit, I've just got to finish this. But then it, it sort of maybe realized, no, no, this is the opportunity right now. I'm going to take it and hang on to yeah. it. And, and yep. I knew that having taken that opportunity, I'd made the most of that that time. And I've been trying to do this so much more, and it's just made me so much more happy with with yeah, being a parent. So nice. every moment I get that is a moment when they're healthy and they're with me, I'm super happy and I make the most of it. And and if I can keep doing that over and over, then I can look back and know that you know I've made the most of everything, and I definitely didn't do that early on. And so it's something that made a yeah. big difference for me. That's a really good point. I like that. I'm going to have to look into that. And I mean, I, I so I, another part of my background here, I'm, I've really got quite a few little, I've kind of got all these tentacles like an octopus, you know. <laughs> Haven't we all? <laughs> I've, 
Um, I'm a master practitioner in NLP. I've, I've got my diploma in life coaching. And part of that was doing my diploma in uh, doing my master practitioner of NLP, which is neuro linguistic programming. And I won't go into too you know if you want to know what it is, Google it. Um, but you know, even with all of that, I still found I still find that there are times like what you're talking about where I don't seize those moments. You know, well, I mean, I, and that that being said, there are times where I, I am. Um, mindful of dropping whatever I'm doing and doing whatever Williams, you know, asking me to do, um, or hoping that I could do with him. But there are times where, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be like, oh yeah, I'll just be there soon, and you know, where instead of just why not? Like I don't really know what my why I'm why I'm doing that, you know. And and but just going on, my point is that, and going back to what I was saying is that, um. You know, it's why we have to be so so mindful of what we say and how we behave with our kids because, you know, from what I've learned from um, the course that I did was that the years of zero to seven are major formative years and they're the years where there are, there can be things that, even as a to our two year old that we could say and it, and again like there are going to be things that we do or say that at some point we, is going to come back to bite us on the butt. There's no doubt in that. Yeah, for sure. You got to get everything perfect all the time, and you can't make mistakes. I and, and I made probably several of them this morning still. But um, if we could try and be as mindful of what we're saying and and what and how we're behaving in front of our kids, especially in those early years, um, because there are a lot of they can become negative defining moments down the track where, you know, um, like say for example, we we I was to say to William, you know, boys don't cry. Like, what kind of impact do you think that's going to have on him? Like, I've worked with so many different people over the years that have told me, you know, shared defining moments that are still in, in, in that are adults that are still impacting on them to this very day because they've developed this belief from something they were told from the, when they were little. And they've carried it all of that time, so it's it's really that's why I've, that's one thing that I do know I've learned, and something that I am quite more often than not good at putting into practice is being mindful of what I'm saying and or how I'm behaving. And if I do make a mistake of what I've said or what I how I behave, is to one own it, but then do something about making sure that I try not to do let that happen again. That's so important, Adam. The the owning bit I couldn't agree with more. That's because I find it was really hard for some reason when I was early on parenting to to actually own up or or even think about owning up, owning something I'd done wrong. And then when I look back on it, it just made so much sense afterwards. I'm like, damn it, why didn't I do this years ago? You know, <laughs> when you have a blow yeah. up, it's just like, hey, I lost my I lost my shit there. I'm sorry about that. You know that sort of thing. Yeah, and, and it made what, such a difference. I was like, oh, yeah, you know, that's what I was saying earlier. Where like when I was saying that on my way to daycare, I'll find that I'll be apologising after time. <laughs> and but I'd say, you know, we make a we we've taught William and we make a big point of 
apologising. And then so it would go along the lines of something like, I'm sorry I raised my voice. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, um, I'll let myself get frustrated, but um, I'll try to be better. And we encourage William and, and we do it in front of him as well, is the, thank you for apologising. So one, we're acknowledging, there's one side of it where we're owning what we've done. But the other side of it is acknowledge, uh, you know, the other person acknowledging that you've apologised, and now we can now we can move forward. And that doesn't mean that we all have to just get over it and move on and let our feelings die right there. Of course, hmm. we're still going to feel some kind of feeling, but we want him to learn that you make a mistake, you own it, and 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 you move on. And on the flip side, if someone owns their mistake, that you acknowledge the fact that they've opened up and said that they've made the mistake and because it takes quite a lot of courage to do that totally. so if we want him to grow up to own the mistakes he makes and learn from them and and accept other people make mistakes as well then he's got to grow up with that so that's one thing that we do make a real big point on yeah and i think um one of the things that gets me thinking about this even more, Adam, is I'm currently reading a book by Dr. Laura Markham. It's really good. It's um, mm-hmm. Peaceful Parenting, Parents, Happy Kids, something along those lines. <laughs> I, you know, I can't remember completely. So you haven't picked up yet? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm about a third way. No, Calm Parents, that's it. I didn't know whether it's peaceful right. or calm. It's Calm Parents, that's Happy right. Kids. And it's really good. But she talks about, you know, it's even the that the kids see – if we have a bit of a, an argument with our spouse, the, the kids see us actually close that out with the spouse as well. You know, yeah. it's not just uh, mum and dad had a bit of an argument and then nothing happened. There was no resolution. It was like, hey, you know, even apologizing to, the, to your spouse in front of the kids, even like afterwards when you've cooled down or something, and how important that can be too. So that the kids oh, actually sort of get to model that sort of conflict resolution or like, closure i guess where, where the, rather than just like uh and i think the example she gives is like you know you're arguing about getting to a party on time and you know blow up in the car or whatever but then when you get out of the car you've made up and you just sort of grab each other's hands and squeeze like and whisper yeah let's not do that again but the kids don't see that whereas she sort of makes out that it's really important that the kids actually see how you actually resolve those sort of arguments and differences and and That's i was like oh. Yeah, I love that. But, and, yeah, that's so true. And she goes into like for the kids as well how it's really important for them to actually experience their feelings, and their feelings are not bad, you know. And and this is something I've only just coming across now. Like, gee, I really need to dig into this. But you know, when when the kids have those like tantrums and everything, it's completely okay to have tantrums, and they're dealing and learning how to react to these new emotions, and it's not a bad thing. And we just have to let them sort of experience it, name it, you know, this is, you know, you feel angry, I guess, and let's work through this. And, you know, at the end of the day, I'm always going to love you and all that sort of thing. So, yeah, I, yeah so I'm I'm loving digging into that right now. And it's it's a whole new ballpark. It's like, oh, See, this is what I mean. This is what I mean. Like, we're all still trying to figure all this shit out, aren't we, really? Like, <laughs> yeah. like you know, how we behave, it's not just how we behave towards our kids it's how we behave to our partners and it's even how we behave to a stranger walking down the street yep absolutely you know, like it's, it's, this and, and yeah you, you you're not going to 
well, just when you think you've got life, you know, relatively right, you know, and sort of figured stuff out, you become a parent, and then it all gets completely, you know, imploded because there's a whole realm of they, you know, becoming a parent forces you significantly to check yourself, doesn't it? Really, yeah. like, and it forces you to have to look at yourself as a partner even, and it forces you to look at how, how you are as a person. It forces you to look at, because it you, you have to look at, you know, if, if you're parenting with intention, that is. But, if, but it makes you look at what your values are. It makes you look at what your beliefs are. It makes you look at how you act. It makes you look at how you speak, what you do, what you don't do. Um, and... Yeah, like, and because all of that is always obviously towards how you want them to be shaped for when they get older. So it's con- they're constantly, and if you're asking earlier on, you're asked, you know, what's what's something you didn't realise? I think I knew that they were, they were going to challenge me in that way, but nowhere near to the extent. <laughs> That it, that it I, I don't know about you, but I think like it, it almost like that ancient Greek aphorism of "Know thyself" is probably the most important thing <laughs> that I, I didn't have a handle on, or still don't have much of a handle on. And and it's one of the the things that is almost the most challenging I find about being a parent. You know, you're learning so much about yourself while you're supposed to be. A leader and in control of everything <laughs> i think yeah. you know you have this vision that a parent is is the leader of the family and in control and and if they 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 aren't then there's an immediate question there but uh it's just a such an amazing learning opportunity i think but i think you've, you're right you've got to be doing work and and trying to you know learn more about how you how you cope and how to cope better yeah. um just from your own it's- perspective which is going to teach them to do the same, whether, you know, just in life anyway, isn't it, really? Yeah. At some point, they don't know it yet. But, yeah, and I think if, if I was to look at how, you know, what kind of values that we want William to have, um, we, you know, I often think of them. So for us, we want him to... Um, and like to have it ingrained in him the value of um, respect, family, um, being polite, uh, resilience, and the other one's escaping me right now. Um, Growth uh, mindset, compassionate, compassionate, and and just. Open, open-minded, and 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 uh, and um, welcoming of people from all, yeah, non-judgmental and opening for all people from all kinds of walks of life, you know. Yeah. And if and we believe that that is going to though, if he has, um, you know, a couple or all of those things, then that's going to hold him in good stead to. Well, one, hopefully avoid all those fears that I talked about earlier. <laughs> but more importantly, that it just sets, hopefully, we, we believe that it would set him up to live a fulfilling life 
um, with whatever he chooses to do, whether it's travel or he wants to do a career of some kind or, or whatever it is that he chooses to do, as long as he's feeling fulfilled and, and exploring and adventurous and all those sorts of things, then, then that, that makes us happy. Yeah. Uh, well, that's brilliant, Adam. Uh, now, I know you've got a whole bunch of calls you need to get onto this afternoon, so I think we better wrap it up there. I've kept you <laughs> kept you for way too long. No, no, it's but, great. Um, <laughs> it, it, this has been really good, Adam. I really appreciate you taking the time. Is there any way that people can get in touch with you if they want to um, you know, reach out? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so, well, I've got... Um, on LinkedIn, so my name is Adam Tardif, and it's T-A-R-D-I-F for frog. <laughs> uh, a lot of people misspell. It's a story of my life. People misspell my last name with an S on the end or something like that, so it turn, turns into Tardis. Um, getting my name in the paper in any sporting stuff was always exciting until I'd see my last name was spelt wrong. So it wasn't really – I felt like it wasn't really me. You could have been anyone. Um, <laughs> no. Um, yeah, they can find me on Facebook or um, Instagram, LinkedIn. Um, yeah, and uh, my or my email is um, well. I've got two different emails, but I suppose me, just me, as all across all the stuff that I do is ajtcoaching at gmail dot com. Cool, that's brilliant. Well, thanks again, Adam. This has been really good, and. Uh, Look forward to catching up with you again soon. Appreciate it. Thanks very much for your time, Rich. Thanks ever so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Adam as much as I did. I'll leave a link to Adam's details on the website in case you'd like to get in touch with him. If you are enjoying these conversations, please give the show a rating and even more so, please review it. I love reading the reviews and it helps others to discover the podcast as well. Well, that's all from me. I hope you stay safe and sane. And until next time, enjoy your caffeinated beverage.